0: The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this extremely warm sun, summer Sunday of worship as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via the podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is Dr. Jessica Chica, and I have the pleasure of serving as the university chaplain for international students here at Marsh Chapel. Our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today is like a small Marsh family reunion. We welcome our guest preacher and former colleague, the Reverend Dr. Jen Quigley, back to the pulpit of Marsh Chapel. Reverend Dr. Quigley is an assistant professor of New Testament and Early Christian Studies and a Louisville Institute postdoctoral fellow at Drew University. We also welcome her husband and former colleague, Reverend Soren Hessler, back to Marsh Chapel this morning as well. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for unworth, unworth we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, Who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy, And bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great, and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds." Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.
0: A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter one, verses 15 through 28. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." and you who were once estranged and hostile in his mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he who we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: And now, please join me in reading verses responsively from Psalm 52 with the antiphon. O mighty one, of mischief done against the godly. All day long you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor, you worker of treachery. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking the truth. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at the evildoer, saying, See the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done. In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name, for it is good. Now, brothers and sisters, as you are able, please stand for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
3: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Glory to you, O Lord. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus. be seated. Beloved, it is so good to be back in Marsh Chapel with you. My deepest thanks to Dean Hill for the invitation to stand in this pulpit again, to Ray and Heidi for the logistics and hospitality, and Jess and Victoria and Justin for their leadership and organization of the liturgy this morning. It is so good to be worshiping with you again as we meditate on this very warm summer morning on a basket of summer fruit. You might have memories of summer fruit, of those ripened, sunburst, sweet moments of summer joy and delight. Call them to the mind's eye for a moment. My memory wanders back to when I was a kid And We would spend a few precious days every summer in Wells Beach, Maine, staying at my grandmother's small cottage at the end of a dead-end road two short blocks from the beach. Our days were filled with swimming and boogie boarding in the icy waters whose temperature hovered right around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which sounds pretty nice on a day like today, right? My parents and aunts and uncles would allow all the cousins to swim until our lips turned blue or our teeth chattered. Then we would be yanked out of the water and warmed up in fluffy beach towels until we had pinked up enough to splash right back in. We would walk along the beach, searching for sand dollars in the shallows. We would carefully crawl around tidal rocks, peeking under barnacled stones to see snails and starfish. As the tide came in and the beach became smaller and smaller, we would retreat to a flat boulder we called the boat rock, begging to stay long enough to be splashed by the seawater as it rushed around us before retreating to higher ground. We would track sand back to the cottage, hose down our feet and scarf down hot dogs and fried clams, and for one single glorious meal all year, a shiny red lobster, which we would crack into with messy delight. We would spend hours curled up in an old slip chair reading the best in children's fiction. I met Aslan in that chair. I learned the secret about Severus Snape. I followed a hobbit to a misty mountain, all bathed in the warmth of the summer sun. Once, maybe twice if we were lucky, we would wrangle some quarters from an adult and would walk to the shockingly painted teal blue arcade to trade those quarters for a few precious tickets. What you would pool and save and never spend, hoping for that day untold years hence when we might have the 3,000 tickets it took to buy that giant stuffed animal or cheap electronic device. Once, maybe twice if we were lucky, we would pile into the car and run circles around that giant wooden sign at the scoop deck, which lists some 50 plus homemade ice cream flavors. And we would shriek from delight and a sugar high as we devoured waffle cones the size of our heads piled high with peppermint stick ice cream or triple chocolate fudge, and eating our way down to the delicate mini marshmallow at the bottom of the cone, which held the ice cream in and kept the whole contraption together. We would make a tremendous mess. Once, maybe twice if we were lucky, we would ronder the halls of an antiques hall that held about as much junk as antiques we would stare at old tools and mishandle vintage toys and gawk at costume jewelry, we would try to keep ourselves from touching anything too breakable. And once, perhaps only once, we would light sparklers after dark and dance alongside the fireflies, drawing circles of light from the ends of our fingertips. When you call to mind your own sunburst moments of joy and delight, what summer fruit comes to mind? Perhaps it's a quiet lake, a wooded path bursting forth to a mountain view. Perhaps it's a field of strawberries plucked and a warm kitchen of jarring jam. Perhaps it is the strains of an outdoor concert and the comfort of a blanket spread along the ground. What comes to your mind that looks and smells and sounds and tastes like a basket of summer fruit These moments are precious because they seem, because they are, both endless and terribly fleeting, a basket of summer fruit. Amos understood this in choosing the image of summer fruit at the outset of a prophecy about divine judgment for unfair labor practices, condemning those who trample the needy, boost prices, and cheat with dishonest scales. We don't see it as clearly in English, but there's a word play going on in the Hebrew here between the word for summer fruit and the Hebrew word for the end. They are half a thought of part. So too are fruit and fruition, ends and eternities. And we know this from experience to be true, right? This is just the time of summer when we both bask in its endlessness and begin to feel that creeping sense that it is somehow already almost over. Children know this, deep in their bones, they can feel when school looms. Tiny sun-filled strawberries fade quickly. Sunburst wild blueberries wither. Peaches and nectarines over-ripen into mush. The life of faith lived in community teach us teaches us to appreciate those summer moments of joy, both endless and always ending. This is the lesson that we learn in Amos and in Luke 2 from Mary's meditative focus on the joy of encounter with the divine. We learn to savor our summer fruits. The life of faith lived in community also teaches us about the labor it takes to enjoy such summer fruit. This is the lesson we learn in Amos and in Luke 2 about Martha's labor to make space for joy. See, there's another way to tell the story of this idyllic, childlike, wondrous scene. You who have been what my fellow millennials called adulting for a little or a long time, you know this well, too. After all, that two-block jaunt to the beach required lugging supplies to keep us kids happy and healthy. Chairs, towels, sunblock, boogie boards, umbrella, more towels, snacks, drinks, a cooler, plastic shovels, and buckets for playing in the sand. Our tiny arms could carry some things, but the adults often ended up checking the list and carrying the majority of the burden. An adult, too, without the circulation of the very young, would need to freeze alongside us in the ocean, splash with that 60 degree Fahrenheit water to make sure that we didn't swim too deep and that we didn't catch hypothermia. An adult, too, would have towels ready and then remind us to reapply sunscreen. An adult would precariously balance alongside us on the tidal rocks, tending to scrapes from the barnacles and protecting the wildlife from becoming permanently transplanted from their homes. As the tide came in and the beach became smaller and smaller, an adult would patiently move all of that beach luggage once, twice, thrice, away from the water and ultimately would wade way steep to rescue us from that beloved boat rock as the tide became too high and our shrieks of delight turned to shrieks of fear. An adult would beg us to rinse off our feet and spend an hour sweeping all the sand that made its way in the house anyway at the end of the week. See, those hot dogs didn't cook themselves and someone needed to stand in line at the lobster pound in the ice cream parlor to clean up the detritus of the seafood feast and the dribbles of melted ice cream and someone had to do all those dishes. So many dishes. Grown ups too would want a few precious moments to read in the warmth of the summer sun or to wander around an antique shop without worrying whether they'd need to pay for a broken vase. And maybe once all of the above work had been done, they too could enjoy the taste of summer fruits. Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha, there are two ways that this gospel story is usually preached. Sometimes these two followers of Jesus are abstracted into ways of living in faith. Mary, the contemplative, Martha, the activist, both are needed. But sometimes these two women are treated as stereotypical characters in a vacation drama. After all, this story falls in the middle of the Luke and travel narrative. There are pitfalls ahead for the lazy preacher on a lazy summer Sunday. Mary and Martha are too easily pitted against one another, rivals for Jesus' attention and favor. It's far too easy to portray Martha as an overworked housewife, complaining about Mary not helping out in the kitchen. In too many sermons, I've heard this story preached in this way, with a final message geared... Often at women, don't worry so much, everything's fine, just try to relax and not stress so much. Women who hear this story preached this way often get frustrated. Feminist biblical scholar Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza paints a vivid picture of how women hear these lazy exegetes. When women hear sermons like this, women who make a congregation run, especially in a church that is so often sustained by women, who teach vacation Bible school, brew coffee, clean altar linens, plant flowers, organize fundraisers, call those who are shut in at home, who do all of this often without ever receiving a thank you, they get frustrated. They therefore identify with the Martha who openly complains. They resent Jesus who seems to be ungrateful and unfair in taking Mary's side. But they repress this resentment. It is Jesus, after all. And they vent it against other women, who, like Mary, have abandoned the traditional feminine role. To preach this passage as a chill-out message to women too busy with household chores, it's a misreading of the text, a myopic telling of the story is only about Martha and Mary's gender, and it's a misunderstanding of what it means to find faith in community. Instead, we need to reconsider what this pause for respite, this moment of hospitality, can actually mean for the life of faith lived in community. Two lessons from Luke help us to read this passage to sustain and nourish the life of faith lived in community. First, since we are in that Luke and travel narrative, we need to remember that the disciples are always working in pairs. At the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus was sending out the 70 to teach, heal, and preach. Disciples come in pairs in Luke, and they are not sent out as polarized lessons for the church, pitted against one another. They are sent out to work together for the sake of the gospel. So, the story of Martha is not about a hostess too busy in the kitchen to enjoy her Jesus party. No, these are two disciples doing the work of discipleship. Martha has questions about the work of faith. And to be sure, she is anxious about that work. But this is not only about worrying about who does the dishes, no, she's anxious about the partnership of ministry, about hospitality, about diaconia, about the service work that makes the community of faith, the community of faith. And her question to Jesus, a fair one, is how to work together in partnership to accomplish all that needs doing for community to thrive. And Jesus' answer then is not a rebuke of the work. This is no patronizing reminder to chill out, but rather it's a reminder that making space for transformative divine encounter is the point of the community of faith. Martha's question too reminds us that on this earth and in this life, it takes labor to make space for joy. Which brings me to my second point. I've always wondered in this passage where all the other disciples were. After all, where were the rest of the disciples anyway? They seemed to follow Jesus just about everywhere. They were just a moment ago reporting on their work and having a little tete-a-tete with Jesus. They'll reappear again in a moment, just a few verses from now, just in time to be taught the Lord's Prayer. So where are Peter and James and John and the others right now? Were they off in the backyard drinking a beer while dinner was made and the dishes were done? If you look through the Gospels, you'll find that the male apostles seem pretty helpless, especially when it comes to fixing meals. Jesus himself has to step up more than once to put dinner on the table, whether that's through the miraculous multiplication of loaves or grilling the fish on the shore after the resurrection. Jesus shares in the labor of the community of faith, but too often the disciples don't. Can you imagine the disciples can't even cook breakfast for themselves and Jesus after the resurrection? This passage and the glaring absence of the disciples reminds us that we need the whole community of faith to do the work, to make space for joy. So sometimes I picture in my mind's eye the scene from Luke 10, 38 to 42. Mary is speaking with Jesus and Martha is stuck with all the work of hospitality, all the work of discipleship, all the work of the community of faith. Desperate for just a little bit of help, she comes through the doorway, squints as her eyes adjust to the outside light, and she asks Jesus for Mary's assistance. Jesus reminds her about the joy of divine encounter. What Mary has chosen Shall not be taken away from her, he says. Martha stares, a small furrow forming at her brow, ready to ask a follow up. But Jesus continues, Martha, you are worried. There is only need of one thing. And Jesus stops and stares pointedly through the door at Peter and James, and John, and the other disciples laughing inside. They fall silent. Jesus repeats a little more loudly this time, There is only need of one thing. The disciples get up, put down their drinks, and begin to set the table for dinner and start doing some of the dishes. Martha smiles, and Mary laughs. Beloved, there is only need of one thing. Transformative divine encounter. The role of the community of faith, the life of faith lived in community is to make space for the joy of that encounter. And beloved, it takes work to make space for the joy of divine encounter. That is the work not of any one of us, but of the community. Faith in community makes space for all of us to share both the joy and the work of divine encounter, to share the labor and the harvest of a basket of summer fruit, to share in the endless and always ending sweetness of this life in preparation for eternity. I know now, as an adult, just how much work went into those sunburst summer vacations in Maine. But I also know, as an adult, how to see, if you look at just the right angle, the same childlike joy in the faces of kids and grown-ups alike. Joy would spread like wildfire among the adults while watching the kids dance alongside the fireflies drawing circles of light with their sparklers. And sometimes, even if only once, the adults would dance alongside the children, if only to keep them from burning their fingers. Beloved, that is faith in community. Amen.
4: Beloved, as we are called to prayer through our singing together of Lead Me Lord, we invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your, hand in your, pla- raise your hands in your place, speak in a language and respond in languages other than English, any way in which the Spirit moves you this morning in prayer. I will set the intention and if and then we'll say in your grace if you will re- please respond hear our prayer dearly beloved let us pray who are one, you who are three, one God in holy community, we who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray for ourselves as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer with and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of good will, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the health of creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us, and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit, relationship. In your grace, hear our prayer for those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. With thanksgiving, for the preparation and anticipation as we open space to be with you and one another in community and in faith, and with thanksgiving for the rest that we experience in your presence and grace and peace, in the companionship of our brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, and in the beauty of your creation. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations, milestones, and joys of our human life, with thanksgiving, In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done,
0: Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this summer Sunday. Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today, especially if you are here in the sanctuary suffering through the heat or listening on the radio or live stream on the internet or later via our podcast. In a spirit of friendship, we ask those of you seated in the pews that you locate the red booklets at the end of each pew toward the center aisle and enter your name and contact information. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. After the service, all are invited to join us for lemonade and light refreshments downstairs in the Marsh Room, which is air-conditioned. This will be a nice time for fellowship together. Today is the last day to register for our afternoon of Vacation Bible School activities entitled Discovering the Visible, Uncovering the Invisible, next Sunday, July 28th, from noon until 4 p.m., Please visit our website for more details or email our Children's Education Associate Mahalia Dam at mdamm at bu.edu to register for this intergenerational vacation Bible school experience. We ask your continued support of our efforts to update the Marsh Chapel photo directory. Please fill out the form found in your bulletin this morning or visit our website to fill it out electronically. You may also see Tom Batson or Moni Nan. Uh, after the service, if you are interested in submitting a photo for the directory, next week our summer preaching series on faith and community will continue with the Reverend Dr. Victoria Hart Gaskell, our minister for visitation here at Marsh Chapel. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu/chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering. May we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
4: Bless and multiply these gifts, O God, that the giving may become receiving, and the receiving may become giving, to further your work of love and justice in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, and in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
3: thy still dues of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress, and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Beloved, go forth in peace. Amen.